Hi, everyone, and welcome back to the Recover with Carly podcast. I am so excited for today's episode. And again, saying that every single episode because I do get so excited, especially when I get to sit down with friends, friends that I've followed and been in contact with on social media for so long. And Jane and I actually been following each other for a while. And we were we were just saying before we started recording, we're like, is this our first time like sitting down with just each other and talking? And it is. So I'm really, really excited for today's conversation. I have my friend Jane Mattingly. She is an incredible human being who's doing so much beautiful work online. And I can't wait for you all to hear from her and learn from her. Um, So welcome, Jane. Thank you so much for being here. Thank you so much for having me. I know I can't believe this is our first time like actually connecting. So I'm so thrilled to be here. It is wild. It's I'm like, I always feel that way when I have people on who I've been following for a while or we've we're like mutuals. We've been following each other and we've talked so much online and interacted so much online. So then when we, you know, get to meet kind of in this space, it's always so special. Yes, it really is. So Jane, if you want to go ahead and kind of introduce yourself, tell listeners a little bit about who you are and what you do. Yeah. So I'm Jane Mattingly. Um, yeah, I've been following you for, gosh, I think like seven years now, which has been so wild and watching you grow. And it's been really, really cool and kind of us growing together. Um, mm-hmm. I started um, really kind of my journey with getting my master's in clinical mental health counseling. So we kind of have a similar journey in a lot of ways. I love that. Um, and I started my, um, journey online with recovery, love and care, which was my business. And I really started building advocacy and awareness surrounding eating disorders. And I started my specialty, um, and work with eating disorders. I, um, started seeking my work within clinical mental health counseling. And then, um, due to my illness, um, which, um, I was very unaware of at the time, but, um, I was very, what I thought was very healthy and able-bodied. And then I became incredibly disabled, I should say, um, and unhealthy. Um, I, uh, was unable to seek my, um, licensure. So I then became a recovery coach and I built an entire recovery coaching curriculum surrounding that, um, And I can kind of get into a little bit more about my illness and all those things. But over the past four years, um, a lot of my profession has kind of shifted due to my illness. Um, And now what my focus really is, is surrounding what I call um, body grief with Jade Mattingly. So it's really kind of this universal concept of really the loss um, and grief that we experience just by having and living in a body. We all experience really this sadness um, and this burdensomeness of having a body, whether it's um, puberty, menopause, infertility, injury, um, miscarriage, disability, chronic illness, hair loss, um, you name it. I mean, really like eating disorders, mental illness, addiction, I mean, that is experiencing body grief. And I don't think a lot of people have that name for it. And so this framework of body grief is just something that I really started to gravitate towards years and years ago. 
And now I am writing the first book surrounding body grief called This is Body Grief, um, published by Penguin Random House, coming out in spring 25, which I'm so just so excited to bring to the world. Um, there's going to be so many beautiful case studies in this book, um, representing all walks of life. And, um, that's really where I've kind of put my heart and soul into in the past year. Um, I also have a nonprofit called the and initiative, which is closely related to body grief. And, um, we dedicate advocacy and gift mobility aids to people in need, um, with chronic illness and physical disabilities. So that's really where I've kind of put my heart and soul into and kind of putting my um, recovery, live, recovery, live and care work to rest right now. You're doing so much amazing work. And I feel like I've been so inspired by you, right? Like seeing following you from the beginning, kind of like when you were doing recovery, love and care Mm -hmm. to now where you've transformed into this similar, but also very different space. Mm -hmm. Um, And I think that's been so inspiring for me and seeing like, Mm -hmm. we're, we're, we're allowed to change, right? Mm -hmm. We're allowed to like evolve. And I felt that so much when I was thinking about rebranding Paradise Fitness with Carly, right? And being like, this is something that's been a part of me for so long. And the thought of like changing that feels very scary, but also very exciting. Mm-hmm. And um, I remember just like watching that like evolution for you and that change for you and being like, this can actually be like the best decision. <laughs> like this could be the best thing to ever happen. And you kind of just were reminding me that change is okay. And whether you knew you were inspiring me to do that, um, you definitely were. And I, you know, thank you for that and being so open and and vulnerable and allowing people to feel safe to navigate change. Oh my gosh. I didn't know that. And I love hearing that. That makes me so happy. Um, it, It was a really daunting thing. Um, because that was kind of a grieving process all on its own. Mm-hmm. Um, and I, I wonder if you felt that too. Um, I did. Yeah. yeah. I mean, I remember like, I remember when you had shared that you were like not going to be seeing clients anymore. Yep. Um, and that you were, you were having this kind of shift. And mm-hmm. I remember thinking like, I, I knew that Paradise Fitness with Carly didn't really feel like me anymore for like the last couple of years. Yeah. And really when I started my master's program or decided to go back to school, I feel like I didn't feel like it was really who I was anymore or it didn't accurately depict who I was anymore. Um, but I think I was like afraid to mm-hmm. admit that because I was like, this has been this has literally been me from the beginning. This is what this entire platform has been. This has been like my identity for most of my time online and a lot of the work that I've done. Um, So there definitely was fear. There was definitely grief in being like, I like grief and understanding like that was not necessarily serving me anymore. Like grief in a way that was like, you know, this is, this is the end of like an era in a way. 
and Mm -hmm. there can be that grief, but also there can be that excitement and that like, you know, looking forward to what can come from Mm -hmm. a rebrand or just changing and shifting gears and focusing on things that maybe I didn't focus on before. So yeah, definitely some grief there. Absolutely. Because it's like, how will people perceive you? Also, like, if people came for one thing, will they accept you for another? Mm -hmm. Um, And like, where is your identity? Where are your values? And I think that's Mm -hmm. where body grief lies too, right? Is if we kind of, I know for me, when I was like starting out my business with eating disorder awareness, like seven, eight years ago, um, right when I was getting my master's and I'm about 10 years um, recovered from my eating disorder now. Um, So I was like, what, you know, like two, three years into my recovery um, at that point. And I was in a seemingly healthy, quote unquote, healthy body, Mm -hmm. um, whatever that means. And um, in a able body, then, um, I would say things like, you know, work out for what your body can do, not what it looks like. And that was mm-hmm. like literally saturated in ableism. Mm-hmm. Um, and I was a very ableist person before I became disabled. I'm now a wheelchair user and I'm very disabled in a lot of ways. Um, and, I then, when I became disabled, I realized like, oh my gosh, all the internalized ableism and all the grief I then had Mm -hmm. because of the value that I placed Mm -hmm. in my body, but also in my brand. Like, even though how ironic that was because I was an eating disorder awareness brand and advocacy Mm -hmm. brand, right? But I was like, if I were to kind of switch over to like this body grief and kind of calling myself out and calling out this internalized ableism and calling out really kind of who I was and all of this, like, would people not stand by me anymore? Would people, Mm -hmm. and you know what, if they didn't, I would just have to be okay with that. Yeah. And there was grief in that because it was grief in like my value as a person and value as like a business and a brand. And that's scary. Mm Mm-hmm. 100%. Definitely. Um, You mentioned that you got your diagnosis or found out about the um, issues that you were having with your health um, Mm -hmm. about four years ago. Is that what you said? Yeah, almost five, which is, oh gosh, I keep it every time. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. So late, like later in your life, right? And I'm curious, like, was there a sense of denial for you in navigating that at first? And and what did that look like for you in terms of like receiving that diagnosis later in life and, you know, being in your master's program and having this kind of goal that you're working toward and then having something so big and life-changing occur? Oh my gosh. What a good question and layered too. Mm -hmm. So I... I would say that I'm like probably I was and probably am still definitely am still the epitome of internalized capitalism and ableism and like hustle culture. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I think a lot of people with eating disorders are. Um, and I had one starting at the age of nine 
Mm-hmm. Um, I also have OCD. Um, so it's like all wrapped mm-hmm. up in a little bundle. Um, mm-hmm. I've worked very, very hard on it. Um, but with that being said, work is where I thrive. It is like kind of where I put in all of my disordered behaviors and I just work, work, mm-hmm. work, work, work. Right. So when I was in my late twenties, um, mid twenties, when I was like 27, this is when all my health stuff came up. And, um, I was, um, working five jobs at the time, not healthy. Um, Mm. but I had to, because I was a poor grad student and, um, I guess I shouldn't say I had to, it was my choice to do so. Mm. Um, and I was working five, five jobs, poor grad student, and I was working out and I was, you know, celebrating life and going out with all my friends. Cause I could do it all, you know, like that was like, I could be anything. And, um, I ended up in the ER probably like twice a week. Um, and I lost, I was losing my sight. I was in debilitating pain. Um, like I couldn't, I had to like drive off the side of the road. I would lose my sight. I was like these headaches that would like almost paralyze me from the waist up. I mean, Mm -hmm. it was like a migraine, but it was like times 10. Like I couldn't, it was terrible. Mm Mm-hmm. It turned out that it was this rare neurological disease called intracranial hypertension, also known as pseudotumor cerebri. Um, it was like kind of a really rough summer of like crazy, you know, doctor's appointments and everyone dismissing me, dismissing me, dismissing me. And then they admitted me to the hospital um, and they were like, you have this. It's where your cerebral spinal fluid basically increases so much that your... Um, your, it like swells and it swells mm-hmm. around your brain and pressure and it's um it's just very painful and it's not good and it's a brain it's like a brain and spinal cord injury mm-hmm. basically and I needed brain surgery and so I was like I remember thinking but I already did my hard thing I had an eating disorder like I remember saying that to my mom I remember being like but I did my hard thing already like I I went through recovery. Like, that's my hard thing for life. Yeah. And I was like, that's, that was like my mindset where I was yeah. like, I checked that off the list already. Like, I'm good now. Little did I know that I would face 13 more brain and spine surgeries in the next four years, be in a wheelchair, and then get a total hysterectomy. <laughs> Mm-hmm. before I was 32. <laughs> wow. So like little did I know what I was to face with my body grief. Yeah. <laughs> and I laugh about it because that's all I can do. <laughs> yeah. 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 I mean, like literally it's called dissociation mm-hmm. and trauma. <laughs> it's called coping. <laughs> it's called coping. We have been to therapy. I just need everyone to know that. Like I'm yes. laughing because... <laughs> I am in therapy. I am medicated. Like we're good. <laughs> but like, it's so funny. I feel like I always tell my clients, I'm like, please laugh. If you want to yes. laugh, like, please laugh. Because I know how like therapeutic it can be to be able to laugh. Like, mm-hmm. and, you know, look at a situation and kind of giggle, even though it's hurt, it hurts and it's it painful. Hurts. Um, I'm like, let's, let's giggle about it. And then let's talk about it, yes. <laughs> but don't be ashamed to, 
to laugh about it because there really is no shame in that at all. Yeah. And it, here's the thing. It was really, I was in major denial. And I talk about the phases, my phases of, you know, body grief throughout this like framework mm-hmm. where the first phase with, and I think body grief is cyclical. It's nonlinear and you can be in many phases at different times and you don't end at a certain phase. I don't, mm-hmm. I don't think of it that way. I think we kind of like, we might end somewhere and then like you end up somewhere else and it's multi-linear and it's layered. And so like, for instance, my body grief with one thing, I might be through, mm-hmm. but then my body grief with another thing, I might be very much in the beginning. Does that make mm-hmm. sense? Definitely. So like while I'm writing this book, I've gone through a lot of body grief in a lot of ways, but like with my brand new hysterectomy, I'm writing this book and I am in each phase, writing each chapter. Mm-hmm. Like I'm doing the exercises. So it's very interesting. Yeah. But when I was initially in this new diagnosis, um, they I got the brain surgery. They placed stents in my brain on both sides and I got my sight back and it was wonderful. And I was literally back to work the next day answering emails Um, And scheduling my pain meds around when I could see clients. And it was Mm -hmm. disgustingly, that's not okay. Like, don't ever do what I did. I'm telling all my listeners, like, that's not Mm -hmm. okay. Um, Mm -hmm. That's hustle culture at its finest. And I learned from that for sure. Um, You know, fast forward that year, like medical travel, Mayo Clinic's, I was then diagnosed, I know you've had Gigi Robinson on this podcast, Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. I was diagnosed with um, Ehlers-Danlos Syndrome, which I was born with, Mm -hmm. and um, I was, they found genetic markers, and I, um, it turned out because of my dance background and a lot of the things that I had been doing, um, I had like a very degenerative, progressive um, role in mine, and it's really affected my spinal cord um, and nervous system. Um, mm-hmm. And because of that, I've just had a really tough go. And mm-hmm. Ehlers-Danlos system, I'm sorry, affects your connective tissues for those of you that don't know. And it has, there's all these different types that you can have and it just affects people in very different ways. It's Ehlers-Danlos mm-hmm. Awareness Month. Um, and so I... Um, it's just been a journey. And since then I've a bunch of things have kind of come my way. Unfortunately, like when chronic illness hits someone, you know, like inflammation happens and then more illness happens and then more disability happens. And I never really understood this until it happened to me. Um, and so I just kind of kept pushing and pushing and pushing and I didn't look at my grief. Mm -hmm. I just didn't. And it wasn't until I was able to stop and really manage and look at my grief that I was able to really start to heal. Yeah. Yeah. I was going to ask, like, you know, I think we, there's, you know, research that shows how much of an impact like stress has on our bodies and like not allowing ourselves to rest and this, you know, hustle culture mindset and the long-term effects that it has on people. Um, and you kind of shared, like, for you, you got that diagnosis, you were out of the hospital, back to work the next day. Um, 
how long did that go on for you? Like, how long were you continuing to work and, you know, remain in that place of hustle culture um, while still navigating all of this new diagnosis? For a while. I think mm-hmm. I, I think I was convincing myself that it wasn't that, though. Um, because, and I think part of it was self-preservation because of where I was and how young I was, if I had stopped and really looked at it, I think I would have, um, crumbled. Yeah. Um, and maybe if I did crumble, um, maybe that's what I needed. Mm-hmm. Right. And in my book, that's, and what I talk about in my newsletter and what I'll talk about in my podcast this summer is there's other ways we can go about it. We can dip our toe in and not crumble. And so like, we don't have to go all or nothing. Right. And I think that's where, like, this is where like, there's no resources out there. Yeah. Um, And this is why I'm writing the book. Like mm-hmm. I would kind of look out there and there's nothing out there for people, young people, and actually anybody to deal with their body grief when it comes mm-hmm. to their bodies doing this, like yeah. where it's like when our bodies, I call it perceived body betrayal. And mm-hmm. I, I, I do, I don't think it's body betrayal. I say perceived body betrayal because our bodies are wives. Mm-hmm. My body when it was creating extra cerebral spinal fluid, it wasn't betraying me. It was actually doing everything it could to keep me alive. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. It was reacting to something that it thought was a threat. And so it was protecting my brain and spinal cord. Mm-hmm. The symptom of that was head pain, trauma, and loss of sight. Mm-hmm. And that fucking sucked. Yeah. And it almost killed me. Mm-hmm. The same goes for chemo, right? I'm doing mm-hmm. case studies on people with chemo. Um, same with cancer. Our bodies are attacking a cancer um, and chemo. The chemo is attacking, you know, the all the, and it then attacks the good stuff in our body too. And the mm-hmm. symptoms suck. It's perceived mm-hmm. body betrayal, right? Mm-hmm. And so... I want to create this book and this, this, um, outlet for people to say, like, we can dip our toe in and we can feel the grief and we can use these tap-ins and these things that I didn't have. Instead, I just went all in Mm -hmm. and ignored everything. Mm -hmm. And then when I burnt, when I was burnt out, I had to completely pull out Mm -hmm. and I had to stop seeing clients. I had to stop working I had to just, I lost myself and I do think that's what happens with people with disability and chronic illness is that they're totally isolated. Um, they lose themselves, um, and things happen and it's, Mm -hmm. it's heartbreaking. Um, and this isn't just with chronic illness either. I think this happens with, um, aging, I think mm-hmm. this happens in a lot with motherhood, with infertility, with breastfeeding. I hear I hear this a lot in different communities. Mm-hmm. Definitely. And I think like, you know, one thing that comes up for me is this, the, the concept of like 
feeling like your life is going to look a certain way and you've done all of this work and, you know, you have these expectations of things that you're wanting to accomplish and work toward. And then you experience something like this, a new diagnosis that, you know, you get in your mid-20s or in your 30s or in your you know, late forties and fifties, right? Like the part of that time in our life where we feel like we're supposed to be, you know, the healthiest, quote unquote, healthiest and, you know, doing all these things to get to that point that we've kind of dreamt of or this, those, those goals that we've set for ourselves. And I think, you know, one thing that I see a lot with my clients is almost, it's, the body grief, but also the grief that is associated with your life being completely different than what you expected your life to be. Yeah. Oh my God. You know, like that concept of my life is now going to be completely different. And I think that's a really hard concept for people to, to like grasp and to accept, um, so I'm curious, like, what your thoughts are on that. Oh, my gosh. I'm, like, getting emotional. I hope that's okay. <laughs> no, please. Yes, it's totally okay. <laughs> you like, asking for permission to get emotional. <laughs> no, please do. Please I, do. that is, I think, where I identify with body grief the most these days. Um, I think where body grief has really become so prevalent for me in recent, um, path and just present is, um, with my loss of independence, um, and loss of autonomy. Um, with my illness, I can no longer drive. Um, and you would think that's not so, I think people think they look at people's, um, stories and they see the tragedy and they think, Oh my God, it has to be so awful. Um, you know, wheelchair or they think like, um, you know, the infusions or the big medicines, it's really the small things that are hard. Mm -hmm. Uh, like I just want to go grab a coffee. Or, um, you know, uh, it's not the, it's not the simple, like when I got my hysterectomy, um, my total hysterectomy, it's not the simple, oh, I'm triggered when I'm planning a baby shower or going to a baby shower for someone. You'd think that's when I'd be triggered for body grief, right? Instead, um, it's when... I'm watching a TikTok and I see like pure joy um, from like all these Taylor Swift videos of moms bringing their little five-year-old daughters and watching like the joy and me being like, oh, I can't wait to do that with my daughter. Mm. And it's little things like that being like, oh, whoa, my, my, my life's going to look so different. Mm. And I really... I think a lot of people experience that. Yeah. And it's not, it's not the big brain surgeries. It's not the big, 
cancer diagnoses or autoimmune diagnoses. It's it's the I broke my leg and I can't shave my legs anymore. It's I have a PCOS diagnosis and I might not, you know, like it's all the little, yeah. it's these huge, they, they amount to big body grief. Definitely. I think that one, thank you for being vulnerable and sharing that. I think that it can be really difficult to show up in a space and be vulnerable and allow the tears to flow. <laughs> um, <laughs> I, although, you know, we know it's, you know, healthy. I'm like, please let it all out. <laughs> I'm also like going through surgical menopause. So <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but I think like, yeah, it's just such, such an important conversation that I just, I feel like is not, had enough, which I think is why what you're doing is so important and having this conversation around the grief that we do like experience when it comes to our bodies. Um, I'm curious, like what are things that help you navigate that when you're feeling that when that grief is feeling, you know, hard to, hard to bear? So many things. Sometimes it's really just allowing myself to have the emotion like I just did. Mm-hmm. Um, and sometimes it's allowing myself to like truly tap in. I call it like just tapping into my emotion and like grounding myself, taking like just, you know, as simple as it sounds. And I'm sure you do this all the time with your clients, like taking just those three deep breaths mm-hmm. and like grounding my central nervous system which is hard if you're in pain or if you're, if your body is like kind of going haywire with your illness or, but just do or mental illness or whatever it is, but doing it and grounding yourself, grabbing the ice pack, getting outside, grounding myself and just starting with like a blanket statement of like, this sucks and I'm going to get through another day. Mm-hmm. Um, saying things as simple as like, I have a lot of privilege with my mobility aid. I have purpose with my business. Mm -hmm. I have privilege with my service dog. There are things and, you know, I use a lot of and hence my and initiative, Mm -hmm. but sometimes I just create space for like the bullshit. Yeah. Um, you know, like sometimes it's just like, we can just like sit in the shit, but yeah. other times I do create a lot of space for gratitude. Mm-hmm. If I sit in the shit for too long, this is how I am. If I sit in the shit for too long, um, I, I can't get out of it because like my shit is like <laughs> a little too heavy. Mm-hmm. Does that make sense? Definitely. So I got to like, I can't sit there for too long. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And getting out of that looks like, what, is that going back to the gratitude? Is that, mm -hmm. okay. That's going to be gratitude. That's going to, honestly, sometimes it means joy and play. So Mm -hmm. like that means learning how to do something new. So 
um, one thing that I joke about, but like that I'm actually learning how to do. And it might be put on hold right now, but I'm learning how to twerk as a disabled person. Um, <laughs> I'm not getting, but it's really actually might be put on hold because I recently dislocated my SI joint, which is like the joint that makes you twerk. So, um, might have to put that on hold, but maybe I can do something else that's like twerking. Yes. Yes. Like a shimmy, uh-huh. something like that. Um, yeah. you know, but I like some dancing, like wheelchair dancing. Mm-hmm. Um, I love some inner child stuff with writing this book. I've just been, you know, my husband's like, things are getting weird. Like, you're becoming like a teeny bopper all over again. Like I like get blasted, <laughs> like my inner child's come out and mm-hmm. I'm, you know, 32. So it's like Britney Spears, Justin Timberlake and Taylor yeah. Swift is just blasting. And I'm like, yeah, it is just like my inner teeny bopper is all back mm-hmm. up in here again. So <laughs> I don't know. It's just finding, tapping into whatever brings me a little bit of joy and not letting mm-hmm. anybody fuck around with it. I love that. Yeah. And I think that's so important being able to find those things and understanding that there, there can be flexibility in those things. Right. And like you had this thing, the the twerking, right? Like this is something that (laughs) you wanted to do and you like really, you know, had your mindset on it and then you like something happened. So you had to kind of reframe that and be flexible and allowing that to kind of transform into something else for the time being. Um, instead of being like, ah, fuck, like, here's just another thing that I'm not able to do. Right. Like, I think that can be easy. That headspace of like, Mm -hmm. it's just another thing and another thing and another thing. And I feel like it can be easy to feel like we're getting buried, like all of this stuff. Um, and maybe sometimes we do. Maybe sometimes yeah. we're like, I'm at the bottom of this pile right now. Yeah. And that's okay. Like, I'll let myself sit here for a little. 40 minutes. And then yeah. <laughs> we're gonna, and then I'm going to force myself up and do, you know, something mm-hmm. to bring me joy. Yeah. Keeping yourself in check. I think I'm really, you know, I lean on specific people to let me do those certain things. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, sometimes I'll be like, I usually ask people like, do you have the capacity for this? And then I'll just like mm-hmm. let loose and I'll be like, okay, I'm good. Thank you. Um, I also, I'm really privileged to have my space. Mm-hmm. So no, I don't leave the house often because I can't drive. And I have friends that come and visit me and I have my porch and it's kind of like my sanctuary Mm-hmm. And I'm so grateful for it. Um, and so life gets bigger with mobility aids. Life gets bigger with friends. Um, and I try and focus on those things. Mm-hmm. Um, and life gets bigger with advocacy too. So that's a big, that's a big piece for me. Not everyone can advocate. And, but yeah. that's, I think I was put on this earth to do so. And I think you were too. I mean, look at what you're doing. Yeah, I think that's so important. I think, you know, also you mentioned earlier this, the grief and like the independence aspect of this. And I think that's something that, I mean, I would love to hear more on this piece and how you're kind of navigating that independence aspect. Um, Because I 
have worked with clients who have gotten late in life diagnosis similar to this Mm -hmm. and they are experiencing that same thing, right? Like really struggling to give up this idea that they need help in certain areas. And I'm curious, you know, what has that looked like for you in terms of feeling that frustration or grief associated with losing that in some capacity, but also finding it in other little areas of your life? Absolutely. I love this question. Well, I think one thing is first looking at internalized ableism. Mm -hmm. Um, It's there in everyone, just like internalized fear of fat, internalized fat phobia, whatever we want to call it, right? The isms are there Mm -hmm. um, and it's uncomfortable for us to look at. And when I say ableism, some people might not know what that means because we weren't really taught what it means. I thought being disabled and some people might like him and haw at this, but I will say it because I am a disabled person. Um, I used to think disabled meant paralyzed. That's it. Mm-hmm. Like truly. Um, I never would have said it out loud because I'm a, I'm a kind human who knows their manners, mm-hmm. but I would have, I, if I ever saw a person in a wheelchair walking, I would have been like, what? Yeah. And now I know that 80% of wheelchair users are ambulatory, meaning mm-hmm. that they can walk and stand. So just kind of like, I think surrounding yourself or following people or educating yourself um, and understanding um, or opening your mind about like maybe saying like, do I have some internalized ableism? Do I have, mm-hmm. do I have some am I saying like should to myself a lot that I should be able to do this, that I shouldn't be able to do this because really like having grace with yourself is where it should start. Like Mm -hmm. it's okay that you need help. It's okay that this is hard. You don't have to push through. It actually is okay to have ease. It's okay to not be in pain. You can take the medicine. You can take the things you can wear the braces. You can use the aids. Aids make your life bigger. Aids make your life better. AIDS make your life more comfortable. And that's what opened my world is that like a shower chair makes my life a lot better, makes my showers so much better. So like, that's a good place to start. Um, But also understanding that like, there are little things and um, adjustments we can make that like, really allow ourselves to make our world more independent. Um, and for me, that started with mobility aids. Um, that's not always accessible for the world, which is why I have my nonprofit, um, Mm -hmm. where we give people mobility aids in need and we advocate for that. Um, but when it comes to like asking for help, I think that's something that's really hard for people to do. Mm -hmm. I think that's really, really tough. Mm -hmm. Um, And so, again, I think that usually comes down to why is this so hard for me to do? Um, Is this a pride thing? Is this a value thing? And something that came up for me and my husband is he um, and I came up with an agreement and we change our agreements all the time. We're allowed Mm -hmm. to change whatever we want. We came up with an agreement that when he comes home, he can't ask um, how are you feeling today? Mm-hmm. 
because I felt that it was like a grade um, on like how I was doing. And I felt like pressured because I don't ever feel good. Mm-hmm. Um, and so like kind of figuring out how you speak to the people you love, setting specific boundaries, telling them how that makes you feel. Mm-hmm. Um and setting up systems um, that work for you. Mm-hmm. Um, and Sean and I have certainly set up systems. I mean, sometimes it has to get pretty, like, personal, too. Mm-hmm. Um, like, you got to use the toilet right. You got to, you know, there's independence things that are very personal. And it can get um, really uncomfortable to talk about mm-hmm. those things. But does that make sense? No, 100%. I think that you brought up a good point too in navigating that piece with like a significant other or, you know, if you're married and, you know, you live with someone else, there there are these important aspects that need to be implemented in order for that to function smoothly Mm -hmm. in some capacity. Um, I -hmm. think that that's... You know, I think one thing that comes up for me is that idea kind of going back to grief, but I think the grief that a partner can experience or a husband or a wife experiences when, you know, that diagnosis comes up and there's a shift in the life that you had before. Um, So I think, you know, that's an important conversation to be had too, is that there's a lot of conversation that goes into it in terms of looking at how do we go day to day and how do we go hour by hour in a way that works for both of us and that still allows the partner, the husband and the wife, whoever it is that you are living with to still have their type of independence as well. Um, Mm -hmm. Because I think I see that with clients where spouses feel like their whole life has now become the yes has their 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 life is now the caretaker and they've kind of lost aspects Mm -hmm. of themselves through this um yes that is oh my gosh that is so real um and it is not a perfect science that's for sure what sean and i um, started doing couples counseling, um, about a year and a half ago and it saved our marriage. We've been together for 10 years, um, but we've been married for two. Mm-hmm. And so we were together before I became sick. Um, so I think that added a lot of grief, right? Because he kind of went through all of this with me. Um, and you know, it just, it's really difficult, um, because the grief was secondary for him, but also just, he was in it with me and he is in it with me every single day. Um, every catheter that was put in, it was almost like he was experiencing it too. Um, and so, you know, his independence is so important because he needs to be his best self in order to take care. And I hate me personally. I hate the word caretaker mm-hmm. um, because I just want him to be my husband. I just want yeah. him to be my husband. 
don't want him to be my caretaker. Mm-hmm. And maybe it's an age thing for me. Maybe it's internalized ableism. Maybe it's internalized mm-hmm. ageism. I don't know. But I I don't think Sean is my caretaker. I think mm-hmm. he's really good at, like, taking the reins and, like, mm-hmm. doing that. But, like, when, for instance, like, when my mom comes into town, like, my mom's the caretaker. Like, mm-hmm. does that make sense? She's, like, the yeah. nurse, too. She's, like, a nurse. Yeah. But... Sean's the husband who is in it with me and he's my partner. He's my care partner, if that makes Mm -hmm. sense. Um, But he's really in it. And so like, he's got to play his soccer. He's got to, he's, he's like, he's got to have his therapist. He's got to have his outlets. And to be honest, I get really envious of that. Mm -hmm. And that's a part of my grief. Yeah. Yeah. And just quickly, do you feel like you experienced or maybe experience still guilt associated no. with kind of that shift for for mm-hmm. him in a way? Every day. Mm-hmm. Every day. And that's something that I have to work through constantly because he has never made me feel guilty. Not mm-hmm. once. Yeah. Um. Not once has he ever ever made me feel guilty. It is all internalized feelings of burdensomeness Mm -hmm. and it's all external feelings like on social media. I cannot read the comments. If I ever post anything about internal or um, interabled relationships, Mm -hmm. um, I posted interabled joy and interabled relationships and the amount of comments that were so nice was so wonderful. But mm-hmm. then, like, the five comments that were, like, you know, statistics show that he'll leave you and all this stuff, you know, like, it gets to you. Yeah, 100%. 100%. And I think that that's hard because probably the people that are leaving those comments have probably never experienced what you're experiencing, right? So they, I feel like right. it's... You know, I, I, the internet is, you know, a shit show as a whole. <laughs> yes. Yeah. Um, and I think, you know, like navigating it in that way of like, these people don't know me. These people don't know my relationship. These people don't know yeah. Sean, like, yes. you know, but of course it still can have an impact on you and, mm-hmm. you know, have you thinking some things and questioning certain things, um, yeah. But yeah, I just, I, I wanted to kind of hear what that experience was like for you. Cause I feel like, again, going back to clients, that's been a huge thing. Um, yeah. I've, you know, worked with couples who similar are experiencing a very life-changing situation, wow. diagnosis or accident or, you know, anything like that. Yeah. And I feel like there is always so much guilt Yes. Coming from, you know, the partner who received the diagnosis and or was in the accident that, you know, was life altering and the guilt that is associated with just feeling like it's your fault that life is so different now. Um, And I think, like you said, therapy, <laughs> right? Like that's yeah. a number one place to start in navigating that, but also you know, recognizing 
is this guilt that you're creating for yourself, right? Or is this guilt that someone's making you feel? Um, I think that's an important part in navigating that too, is like, where is the guilt yes. coming from? Oh, it's totally coming from me. Yeah. Mm-hmm. It, it's, it's something I've definitely worked through. And honestly, one of the best things we've done for ourselves is like figured out our attachment styles. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, in all of this, um, because that came up the most, I think with our grief. What's your attachment style? When I'm, I'm more secure because I've worked in therapy, um, mm-hmm. since I was nine. Mm-hmm. When I am triggered, I'm anxious mm-hmm. and Sean's avoidant. Mm-hmm. Love that. <laughs> opposites <laughs> yep but we're like let's talk about it and he's like no we're good no. like we don't need to talk about it and you're like nope we need to talk about it yeah yeah so we're like the perfect pair <laughs> yeah my partner and I are literally the exact same way like I'm very anxious in mm-hmm. certain situations and he is avoidant as well and so mm-hmm. he's someone who could be like totally, I don't need to talk about this. It is what it is. You know, you like, let's move on. And I'm like, no, we can't move on. We need to talk about this. I need to know everything you're feeling. I need to know what you're thinking. (laughs) Yep. Oh, everything. Yeah. Mm -hmm. I'm like, you look, you look at that different. What's that about? Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. But we're getting better. Um, a lot better, actually. It's just mm-hmm. like when you deal with like, it's like hit after hit after hit diagnosis and surgery and surgery and surgery. And so we've just honestly, one thing that I've learned the most is just like grace is like giving ourselves grace and compassion is like the best thing we've done for our relationship. Mm-hmm. Yeah, definitely. So to kind of wrap things up, I would love to hear one piece of advice that you would give an individual who is navigating body grief? Like what, oh what God. advice would you give them? Oh, that's such a good question. Yeah. I think honestly, when it comes down to it, there's no one right way. Mm-hmm. Take your time. Give yourself compassion yeah, take yourself, take your time, give yourself patience and give yourself compassion. There's no one, like, there's no right way to do this. Um, and like, you're not in a race. Um, look at your internalized ableism and all of your inner isms, because I think what happens is there's internalized pressures with grief and there's external pressures with grief. And if we can look at both of those things and take our time, we can really un- like unpack where this grief is coming from and why we feel this way. Definitely. And I think one thing that comes up for me too is like potential shame that's associated with it, right? Understanding like there is no shame in feeling what you're feeling and there's no shame in navigating, <clears throat> excuse me, there's no shame in navigating that grief. And I feel like you may make one decision, realize, okay, that wasn't the right decision. Let's change this 
for next time. Like, I feel like that falls under kind of giving yourself that grace and allowing yourself to be flexible in knowing that this could be something that you've never navigated before. And so you're going to, you're going to be learning along the way. And, you know, there's no shame in that at all. Absolutely. Um, do you have like recommendations for community or like support groups or spaces where people can kind of surround themselves with individuals who are experiencing body grief or something similar to them? Yeah, right now, um, you can, um, follow me at Jane Mattingly. Um, you can body, um, body grief with Jane Mattingly on Substack. Um, that's where the podcast will be as well. And that is a really strong community over there. Um, that will all be on my website. Everything is on my website at janemattingly.com. Okay, perfect. And I'll put everything in the show notes as well. So people can find all of that easily. But I always, yeah, I like to ask about that because I think that community in this type of situation in these scenarios, I mean, community in general is just so important. And I think being able to surround yourself with people who are experiencing something similar is so therapeutic. And ERC, Eating Recovery Center, we're actually doing a body grief support series that's going to be free um, in the fall. And it will be like, I think we're having up to like a thousand people that can join. Oh my gosh. That's amazing. Yeah. Yeah. So that will be at the end of the summer. Um, Okay. So I'll make sure to give you that link as well. Amazing. Yeah. We'll put everything in the show notes. Um, but Jane, thank you so much for being here. Thank you so much for sharing your knowledge and being vulnerable and sharing your personal experience with, with listeners. I think that, you know, you've, you've done so much work in terms of helping so many people. And I think you continue to do that every day. And, I'm glad that you've gotten to a point where you're like, okay, I also need to take care of myself. <laughs> yes. Yes, me too. Because <laughs> you deserve that. You deserve that yeah. for sure. Thanks for um, having me. Of course. And listeners, if you resonated with today's episode, please feel free to leave a rating or a review. Share this with a friend or family member. Um, body grief is a topic that we don't talk about enough. And I think that most of us experience it in some capacity. And I think it's extremely therapeutic to understand what it is and what it can look like and how we can navigate that. So um, thank you everyone for listening. Jane, thank you so much for being here and we'll see you all in the next episode.